Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. Hey there. I am Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and I go by Carol the Coach, and tonight I'm all by my lonesome. Now, when I first started this show, way back when, I do believe it was uh, maybe this is probably our fifth year, so probably 2014. I did almost all the shows by myself. And then I got smart and I thought, you know what? I need our listening audience to, to be able to hear from the experts in the field, in the world. And that's when I started booking people. And I booked somebody tonight and he canceled. So, I was going to do a replay, and then I thought, you know what? I have not talked extensively about my book. And that book released the first week of May. So it has been out there for um, over six weeks. And I thought to myself, I want people to know about this empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. It is called Help, Period, Her, Period, Heal. I wrote it with Alan Katz. He actually helped me on um, one of the chapters. And, you know, I have to tell you that this book came out of a slogan that you've probably heard me say. It's the addict that carries the shame, but it's the partner that carries the pain. And I, I worked with addicts, and I worked with partners, and my addicts were getting better exponentially, but my partners weren't. And I realized that I was not attending to them the way that I needed to, and that I needed to get specialized training because I didn't know what else to do with them. 
And so that's when I decided to get my training through APSATS and become a clinical certified partner specialist, a CCPS. And many of you know I got my CSAT, that's a certified sexual addictions therapist. And so I feel like, wow, I've got, I've got a really good start at helping couples to heal. Now, the truth of the matter is what I saw was that addicts did not know how to empathize. And I don't know, maybe that's because they had been in the process of addiction for so long that they disconnected and detached from their partner. And, of course, to preserve their addiction, they got more and more self-absorbed, self-interested, and at times selfish, right? Um, Or maybe they didn't have much empathy shown to them, therefore they couldn't model it as well as try to medicate it by utilizing many different addictions because we all know that sex addiction is typically um, not, does not manifest itself solely. It has other addictions. And, you know, some of you have seen my YouTube. I just had somebody tell me, I saw your YouTube where you talked about what Patrick Carnes told you. And um, I was into the revealing mode last week. I, I did a YouTube on me and what Patrick Carnes told me. He therapized me in our classroom setting when I was getting um, certified. And then I did this partner betrayal show yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry, last week. And I had somebody interview me, even though I really wanted to interview her on disclosures. She would have none of it. She's a friend, a colleague. Uh, the operations director of APSATS, and she just said, her name's Jen Cole, by the way. She just said, nope, I'm interviewing you. You have not been interviewed for our APSATS radio show, and I'm interviewing you. And so she asked me really personal questions, and I just kind of spilled the beans about me. If you've ever wanted to know, when did I get married? How did I get married? Why did I get married? Or, you know, what it's like not to have had children. I mean, it's just like a diary, (laughs) probably a verbal diary. Um, You need to look up that show, and that is on uh, Betrayed Partner Radio. Burr, B-R-R, Betrayed. Oh, no, wait a minute. Here's how it goes. Uh, (laughs) I can't believe that I didn't. I didn't know. Betrayed Recovery Radio, and that's via APSATS. Um, So anyway, most of you know that I really believe that addicts needed some help. They needed to learn how to share intimacy, develop intimacy, master intimacy through empathy. And so that's what this workbook's all about. You know, my belief is the antidote for addiction is absolute connection or intimacy, but you can't get to intimacy until you get to empathy. And boy, addicts are at a real deficit because they've betrayed their partners to such a degree 
that there is no closeness, there is no trust, there is no intimacy. So this is um, really, it may seem insurmountable, but it is a challenge to say the least. And I want to help you with that. If you're an addict, I want to help you. And if you're in a relationship or not, we all can learn to use empathy. We all can learn how to have more grace in our life. We all can learn how to manifest forgiveness. So the good news is I find it incredibly helpful in all situations. Now, many of you know that empathy means putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And basically, you have to create a specialized energy, a a concerted effort to ask yourself, how does my partner feel? And I tease my group and I tease addicts all the time. I say, you know how people wear the band, what would Jesus do? Well, I want you to wear the wristband that says, how would my wife feel? How would my partner feel? You know, one of my regrets about this book is that it couldn't be made for three populations. Obviously, it's made for the um, heterosexual couple. And and I um, am assuming here it's to help her heal. So the addict is male and the partner is female. Well, then, I wish I could make, create this book for homosexual couples, you know, lesbians or gay couples. Now, the truth of the matter is that there's very little... Um, documented or researched sexual addiction amongst lesbians. So it would probably be for the gay community, and here's why. You know, the gay community operates sexually under a whole different uh, paradigm. And so it's not unlike them to have polyamorous relationships and, and those kinds of things. But I have worked with quite a few homosexual couples where sex addiction looked just the same as in heterosexual couples. But it was between two men. And I wish that we could get this book published for them because they're an underserved population and it's only going to get worse. And then the third book that I wish we could translate, and maybe someday when I get rich, I'll do this, um, is for male partners and female sex addicts. You know, that, that is an underserved population too. And there are so many unique nuances to that relationship that I'd really like to have a book that, that you know, caters to them. There are some major differences in all three of those couples. And so... There are also a lot of similarities. So I say if I had a lot of money, I think to reformat this book would probably cost me about, oh, six to $10,000 to reformat it. So that's why I say if I ever get rich or, 
maybe if I run into a very rich recovering sex addict or recovering betrayal partner um, who I've helped, <laughs> I've helped their relationship, and they've got more money than God, they can help me with that project. You know, if I'm coaching people, I can do that. If I'm in mental health, I can't cross that boundary. It's a beautiful thing about coaching. So I want to help my addicts develop more empathy because I want to help to restore their relationship and bring it back into a state of health. You know, when conflict occurs from betrayal trauma, I want the addict to have the strength to connect through empathy and to not take the conflict personally, even though they caused the conflict. That is a difficult dance. To not go into shame when their wife is physically attacking them, calling them names, crying in a heap on the floor, um, severely traumatized. I want to help you, the addict, leave your wife feeling a renewed sense of safety. And I want you all to develop more intimacy. And so that is my goal. Um, That's what this workbook is for. And I can't say enough good things about it. Now, in Chapter 1, I do a basic what is addiction, and I don't talk that much about the brain science, which, of course, mostly is brain science, but I talk about the fact that we've always had addiction, but the Internet has made addiction so affordable because it can be free, so accessible because it's like having porn in your pocket. You can look up anybody on any kind of list or adult um, website for free and just peruse. You know, so many of my addicts just peruse what's out there, and they get all worked up. And, of course, it's anonymous. I mean, that is one type of sexual addiction, anonymous sex, um, because that is purely and solely for the sex. And when you have accessibility, affordability, and anonymity working for the sex addiction, it becomes very, very compulsive. And along with that compulsivity, obviously, um, creates this persona where the addict lives two very separate lives kind of a dual functioning where they're living in the world of secrecy and deception. And they are living in a dual life, and it's that duality that upon discovery absolutely plagues the partner. She wonders, who am I living with, and how could I be living with such a monster? So I start off with this workbook asking people, asking addicts, are you willing to do what it takes? Because this is a hard journey. But there's something, I don't mean to be trite, but there's something really magical. When an addict gets discovered, 
and we call that kind of that deal-breaking behavior. When he gets discovered and he begins the recovery process and it takes hold of him, he feels better. And when he gets the principles of recovery and he begins to feel better, the magic begins because he really is willing to do what it takes because this whole paradigm has shifted from I'm going to meet my needs, I'm going to create my own dopamine, to how could I have done this to my wife? I love her so much. I will do anything to make her happy again. And so I say to my addicts, this exercise came straight from them, you'll do anything to help your partner heal? Well, I'm going to call you on that. I have them do what I call the willingness exercise. And that is when I ask them to come up with 25 things that they are willing to do to build safety in the relationship after discovery. And that might look like I'm willing to do a disclosure even though my fellowship has said, no, don't tell her everything, you'll be sorry. I'm willing to do a disclosure because I trust Carol, or I trust an APSAT therapist, or I trust my CSAT that says a disclosure is the way to get all the truth out. And when I share all the truth, and then I get polygraphed to prove to her that I'm being honest I no longer hold secrets. I feel better about me. And I am able to prove to her that I am in this thing for the long haul. So that might be one of the things. I am willing to participate in a formal disclosure. Or I am willing to take polygraphs. Or... I am willing to make an amends or I am willing to get a flip phone or I am willing to have a GPS put on my phone or my car. You get the gist. It's all those extreme measures that you're willing to do to rebuild that trust. Because when you're developing empathy, you have to look at life very, very differently. I say you have to use the five A's to ensure that you're using empathy with your partner. And so those five A's are that you have to create an awareness that is first and foremost in your prefrontal cortex. And that is any situation that she presents, you have to be able to say to yourself, Am I aware that I might be able to use empathy here? How could I use empathy here? Is empathy appropriate here? And then you have to accept that this is going to be your new mode of operandi. You have to be willing to risk the vulnerability to practice empathy for your partner in all situations 
And just like I had you do that willingness exercise, you have to hold yourself accountable. And you have to tell yourself, you know what? I am willing to take full responsibility and find a way to convey that I do empathize with her and I will do what it takes to make her feel safe. Now, I know I sound like a broken record here, but I cannot stress this point enough. You have to have full acknowledgement. You have to acknowledge that what I say lets her know that I am fully aware of the damage that I have caused. And what that means is three, four, five times a day, you have to say to her, I can see that you're triggered, and I know I caused this trigger. Even though you might not have right then and there, you know that you're the reason she's experiencing triggers. Or you have to say at least three times a day, I am so sorry that you are feeling so badly because of my actions. I am sorry that I did this to you. I acknowledge that I am the cause of your pain. So acknowledgement is very, very important. And then having an action plan. What can I do to increase her trust? How can I assure her that I've changed? So, okay, that's the five A's. I would love to be able to, love to be able to give you the quiz right now. I talked to you about the first three A's of why sexual addiction is so rampant. Do you remember what I said? It's because it's affordable, it's anonymous, and it's forever accessible. And then I talked about the five A's to ensure that you're using empathy with your partner. And what are those five A's? It's having an awareness that you can use empathy. It's accepting that you're willing to be vulnerable. It's accountability, whereby you take full responsibility. Acknowledgement, acknowledging our pain, that's one of the biggest, and having an action plan to show her that you're going to walk your talk. And those are the five A's. And when you can keep those at the forefront of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, you are much more likely to develop empathy. But then there's these basic skills. I call them sustainment skills. When I was in school, I learned that these skills really helped in building a relationship. And then I taught at a university, and I would have my students use these very basic skills, and we would tape them, using them with other students. So we had 
half of the room knew what they were doing. They were going to use these skills, and they were going to test to see if they were developing unconscious rapport. Now, what I mean by that is that we had students pretending they were counselors and therapists, and they would be relating to the other student, asking about problems, being very empathetic, using great listening skills, and their assignment was then to rub their nose, scratch their neck, um, pat their chest. And if you're using good sustainment skills, relationship skills, when you use those, you will see your client. This is no joke. You can do this with your, you know, with your partners at home. You can do this with your neighbors, people at church. If you rub your nose and you're in good rapport with somebody, they will rub their nose too. If you rub your neck, and you have good relationship skills with that person, they'll grab their neck. It's a way to um, show you that you are really relating to the client, and more importantly, they're relating to you. And so it was my way to prove to the students, hey, this stuff works. Now, what are those skills? They are super basic, and they won't be hard for you to forget. Their eye contact. Um, it's so important for you to maintain eye contact. It is having a warm facial expression. You know, looking at your partner and really looking into her eyes. I always say look into the left eye. It's the window to the soul. Um, caring body language. Reaching towards them, moving forward in your posturing, soothing or soft volume. I get so excitable that I once had somebody in my um, betrayal recovery radio show get on Facebook and say, slow her down. She talks too fast. She's too loud. Slow her down. And I didn't take that personally. I took that literally because the truth of the matter is when a partner is traumatized, oh, my goodness, they hear things with a heightened sense of sound. Um, their brain does not move as quickly as it should. So if I'm really excited and I'm just really talking up a storm and I'm really, blah, 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 it's too much for them. And so it's not necessarily that I... Um, and speaking too fast or rapidly, but it is for their injured brains. So that was great feedback for me. And you all probably don't know this about me, but I do a really good job of being coated with Teflon. And that means when people criticize or, um, oh, yeah, they're critical of me, I ask myself, how did I contribute to that? And then I take what I need and I leave the rest. And I do let it roll off of me. And I do say to myself, I will get this figured out. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm going to figure out how I can allow it to better my abilities. 
And that's what I want you all to do as addicts. I want you, I'm drinking coffee, by the way. I'm sorry I'm gulping. Um, I really want you to learn how to contain and hold her pain and to know that you contributed to this problem. You know, in a marriage, I either say you contaminate or contribute in a positive way. But in my conflict series, I say, always ask yourself, how did I contribute to this problem? And then tell yourself that you're going to accept that you have contributed and yet hold the rest of it there for her so that you can be with her in her pain. And it doesn't devastate you to the point where you walk away, you look down, you take a break. You know, no, you just hang in there with her. And I'm telling you, it is hard work, but I promise when you have good eye contact, a warm facial expression, caring body language, soothing or soft volume, and last but not least, if you ask permission to touch her, I'd say more times than not she'll say no, but when she says yes, if you can do that in a soft and gentle way, partners want to be loved. Partners want to be touched. Partners want to be held. But they're afraid. So if they push you away, if they say no, if they get loud, it's only to protect themselves. So don't let that get to your self-esteem. Just know that she's setting boundaries to keep herself safe. And when you relate with full accountability over and over and over and over again, you're on the road to helping her heal. So this workbook is going to do two things for you. It's going to help you to learn better coping skills to deal with her pain and her shame as she begins to heal. And it's also going to help you to understand her better and to hold yourself accountable for the wounding. And so, I also ask you to write out 25 reasons, 25 ways that you know you wounded your spouse. When my wife discovered my sexual addiction, she felt wounded because. She felt wounded because she felt rejected. She felt wounded because this happened in her own childhood with her father and mother. She felt wounded because I took advantage of so many situations 
and deceived her. You know, many a man has used the birth of the child to find opportunities to act out sexually. And when the birth of a child should be the most special time in a woman and in a man's life, in a couple's life, to find out that he was seeing somebody else during her pregnancy or her delivery is devastating. So if you would, I want you to write down those 25 things that you did that wounded her. It'll keep it in the forefront of the mind. And I'll tell you a little bit about brain science and brain chemistry. You know, when a partner finds out that her husband has cheated, she goes into this trauma response that starts in the back of her brain, her amygdala, and she goes into fight, flight, or freeze. And you've heard of that before, fight, flight, or freeze. And so when she's dealing with, should I punch him out? Um, Should I uh, uh, attack him verbally? Obviously the fight part. Or should I run away and hide? Or am I immobilized? And do I just curl up in a ball in the fetal position and stop eating and sleeping and just literally I am in a state of complete devastation. When that happens in any of those things, then send signals to the interior cingulate, which is this nutshell part of the brain. And that is where the emotions are regulated. And it's interesting because all the emotions go to that center, but this center is especially active for rejection. And since partner betrayal is the worst rejection imaginable, the interior cingulate just lights up like crazy. It goes into overload, and then it sends signals to the prefrontal cortex, which is your executive functioning. It's where the brain has to make decisions. And so it's hard enough to know how to deal with the worst betrayal of your life, partner betrayal. But it's equally worse. No, I don't think that makes sense. It is way worse because the executive functioning goes offline with this trauma response, and the partner cannot think. She does not know how to think. And so she feels like she's going crazy. And all sorts of things decompensate momentarily and temporarily. She may not be able to speak. She may not find the right words. She may experience something called alexithymia, which is the inability to come up with words. And so she feels like she's going crazy. And then 
because this is such a trauma response, most of her parasympathetic and sympathetic um, nervous system takes a hit. And a lot of times uh, the appetite is suppressed. Um, women may want to sleep 24-7 or they may not be able to sleep. So there are a lot of fundamental um, processes in the body that shut down. And that's why it's so important to understand about the trauma response. So the most important thing that you need to know is how to come up with empathy statements. Statements that let her know that you see her pain and that you've caused her pain. But that can't happen if you're not in good recovery. So simultaneously, you have to be in good recovery. And then you have to know some of the basics to expressing feelings. And I always say, There are five primary feelings, and they're anger, sadness, loneliness, fear, and happiness. And you need to be able to know your own feelings so that you can read hers. And so, you know, sometimes, if you've been listening to my show enough, you know that the kid version of that is mad, sad, glad, the first three rhyme, um, lonely, and afraid. And you have to practice daily tools that help you to process your feelings. And that's why I always ask that you journal, talk to your sponsor or mentor, externalize your feelings, share them with your wife. Um, And meditation is such a good opportunity for your feelings to feel safe enough to come to the forefront of your brain. And so understanding your feelings is super helpful. And you can't have true empathy if you don't get, understand, and honor your own feelings. And so We know that when we're dealing with addicts, we either experience addicts um, who have had their own trauma history growing up, so perhaps your ability to feel safe has been compromised as an addict, or they've participated in such compulsive addictive behaviors for so long, sometimes perhaps even combined with drug or, or alcohol ingestion or workaholism or gambling, um, that it's real hard for you to have a read on yourself. And so true recovery means that you work 12 steps, you work on that fourth step, which is really understanding your anger, your resentment, your sadness, and all your losses, 
and then be able to honor those feelings, recognize how they've interrupted, interfered, or contributed to your life so that you end up having a better handle on who you are and, of course, what you did. And when you do that, you are much more able to help her to move forward. So in the book, I give you examples of screw-ups, things that addicts do when they're in good recovery and they mess up, whether it's they come home late, uh, the GPS doesn't say they are where they were, um, they lie about something simple, like taking money out of the bank to pay for an overdraft charge. And, you know, if you're working on honesty and she finds out you've lied about taking out the trash, she says to herself, there's no way he's being honest. What else is he lying about? And she goes from zero to 100 in, in nanoseconds. So I don't want you to get discouraged. I want you to stay the course. I want you to really get to know yourself. Do your 12-step work. And if you're not in that kind of a program, maybe you're in Every Man's Battle or maybe you're in Recovery Nation, um, there's work in both of those programs. So do that work. Find that guide. Find a mentor. Find a sponsor and use him. I want you to be patient as she pushes you away because there is that scenario of I hate you, don't leave me. You know, get out of here. I want a therapeutic separation. And then the next thing we know, uh, she's saying, you haven't called me for two days. What's up? You know, in some ways, she doesn't even know that she's testing the waters to see how you're going to do. And she's just figuring out how she can feel safe. You know, I say in the book that there's this thing called foreboding joy. And when she feels a glimmer, a nanosecond, if you will, of happiness or joy or enthusiasm, she's going to be crestfallen because she's not going to believe it. She's not going to think she deserves that happiness because it was taken away from her. So you're really in a catch-22 situation for a while. Now, I'm a real believer in recognizing your own negative self-talk. And if you've seen my YouTubes, you know that I really believe in affirmations. But the affirmations that I believe in are very realistic. And they go like this. Even though I have caused my wife great trauma, 
I am working on being the man I never knew I could be. Or even though I looked at some provocative images last night, I checked it in with my sponsor, I shut the computer down, and I reported that to my wife. See, the truth of the matter is your wife gets to decide how much she knows. She does. She gets to decide what she wants to know. And some women say, you know what? I don't want to know about your slips. I do want to know what's in your inner circle. I do want to know your deal-breaking behaviors. But I don't want to be triggered with every indiscretion that you've had that has to do with looking at images or having negative thoughts or having fantasies. Okay, if you have that kind of a wife, it's important for you to know what her boundaries are and to honor that and not to traumatize her by telling her everything. Unfortunately, most of the women I work with for at least the first year, they prefer to know everything. They want to know when you've been triggered. They want to know when um, you didn't practice the recovery tool. They want to know if you've been contacted by an old affair partner. They want to know when you have found an old email address you were using. When an unconscious memory becomes conscious. So find out from your wife how she feels. And then customize what she needs based on her needs. You know, in the blue book, the big book, the AA book, there was this thing that said, don't make an amends if you you would hurt her or hurt the person. But that's not SAA or SA. That's not relational recovery. In relational recovery, you find out what your wife wants. And if she wants an event, if she wants to know everything, she has that right to know the truth. And as much as you may not want to do it, you know, you say, she knows I went to 32 prostitutes. Why should I tell her about the 10 other ones? Because it's the truth, and that's what your sex addiction is all about. The antidote for sex addiction is transparency, honesty, and authenticity. And so that doesn't mean tell her half and and protect her from the rest. It means if she asks, be honest. If you have a contract with her that you will share things with her, do it. Face your fears head on and do it. Now, in this book, I go into some formulas that I think are very, very healthy. One that I created called ABR. It stands for acknowledging her issues, validating her feelings, using the five that we just talked about, and reassuring her of where you're at. In other words, reassuring her that you have good recovery, 
that you are working on relational skills. And when you do that over and over and over again, it can help her to heal. And I know there may be a certain party that says, oh, she's not going to buy it. She's going to think it's my rhetoric. She's going to think it's my bullshit. She's going to think it's another lie. But you just keep doing the next right thing because A-V-R is the next right thing. So before I end, I want to give you a couple of examples of A-V-R. I had a woman um, who... She really felt like she needed space from her husband. And she wasn't sure if she wanted a separation. She wasn't sure if she wanted to leave, but she had kids, so she didn't think she should. But she needed space. And she even told her husband, I'm not sure I love you anymore. I I don't know. I need space to think about that. So this is how he used ABR. He acknowledged her pain. He said, I can understand why you're confused because I have hurt you so badly. And you need some space to figure out what is in your best interest. And I would suspect that you feel very sad that our marriage was a farce and that you didn't even know who I was. But I want you to know I am in good recovery. And I've been practicing the principles and really experiencing very few triggers. And although I'll do this a day at a time, I feel like I've found something that can transform me. And I just want you to know that that's the truth. Okay, that's ABR. I had another woman who had not told anybody about her husband's affairs. He had seen several hundred prostitutes. And she just felt like a volcano ready to explode. And she shared with him, she said, you know what makes me the maddest? Is when people have the nerve to come up to me and tell me that you are a wonderful man and I am so lucky to have you as a husband. And I just want to throw up. I get sick to my stomach because I can't say to them, he is a cheater, he is a liar, he is disgusting, and I hate him. Now, what the addict knew was that she was a very devout Christian woman, and she also loved him. And so he used ABR with her. And he said, I want you to know that I realize that holding all those secrets has been so difficult for you. And I am the source of your pain. 
And I know you never thought you would have to hold these kind of secrets. And it's making you sick. And it's making you need distance. And I can see the anger on your face when you say to me, you don't know what you need to do next. But I want to reassure you that whatever you need, I will help you get it because I want you to heal. And I love you and I want to do whatever it takes to give you the space, to allow you the time to get better for you while I continue to work on my own healing. That was the reassurance part. So maybe we can do another show on some more empathy. I think I'd like that. I'm going to be having an online course that will be ready and probably by the end of June where you can take the course if you need a little extra help with the book. I'm all about creating visuals for you. And it's been such a blessing to do this book because I got to tell you, you this is the hardest work in the world that I have ever done. And I've worked with abuse and I've worked in schools and I've worked with medically sick kids. And I mean, I've done it all in the prisons. Nothing is harder than this work, but nothing is more gratifying than seeing the healing that can come out of this terrible, terrible betrayal. So, if you haven't seen my book, uh-oh, I'm talking loud again, aren't I? You can go to Amazon or you can go to Sano Press. That's the publisher, S-A-N-O-P-R-E-S-S, and buy it. Again, I wrote it along with Alan J. Katz. We're both CSAP. We both want to help addicts, and I really want to help the partners. Couple ships are my thing. That's my special niche. So thanks for letting me um, teach you a little bit about my book, and I hope you found it helpful. I hope you'll listen to the show again. I'm all about repetition. I know you can do it. And I hope you'll get a copy of Help, Period, Her, Period, Heal. An empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. Because you know, I always say, there will only be one of you at all times, and I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself and to take your life to the next level. And you can heal. Whether you're the addict or the partner, you were meant to be whole and happy. So I'll see you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. Make it a good one.